This is a conversation with Max Klonenko, the creative director and owner of Klim & Co. He has four degrees, two million followers on TikTok, and he makes fantastic educational and creative content on the platform. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by me. Leave a good review on the podcast and go to newsletter.joshterryplays.com and sign up. All right. Well, um, thanks for coming on. Pleasure. Can we just start with a little bit of your story? Where'd you come from? Uh, in terms of my geographical and cultural origin, the country of Ukraine, biggest country in Europe, first uh, ever written constitution and many other perks. The first time I saw you was on TikTok. And uh, if, if you're anything like me, there was sort of a series of events that made you a person that would get on TikTok and start making content there. Uh, what like led you there? I think that if I start from like the young age, um, when I was a teenager, I started becoming interested in uh, kind of stage performance, acting and comedy, um, which is where I completely lost the sense of like shyness and kind of normal awkwardness and in social interactions. So like once I had an audience of 2000, not laugh at one joke that I've made, then I've kind of like anything is okay for me. So this is why I'm like putting myself out there um, isn't really an issue and it's something that I've kind of always been quite drawn to. Um, after that period, I, I went into like academia because I really wanted to go into politics or go into some kind of big government and like fix problems in my country, etc. Um, so I was like, okay, well, instead of being an actor, I can be a president. I can get more done and like still be in movies because I'm the president. So like for a teenager, that seemed to be uh, like a win-win. Uh, like um, so then I went, I came to the UK to study law, uh, did a bunch of things, ended up in a big corporate consultancy and was kind of doing work there for a while. And that's when I rediscovered my interest in media kind of quite randomly. And this, as any, uh, white millennial guy, I started a podcast that no one listened to, um, aside from my grandma, uh, for some time. And eventually my sister said, oh. Uh, there is this new platform, TikTok, but like, you're too old for this and like, you're no fun. I'm like, okay, wait, I'm going to talk about how everyone should read books on TikTok. So this was my initial kind of content pillar, my books and my cat. Um, obviously the, the latter is a, is a lot more marketable, uh, especially right now. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I just got on it. I promoted my podcast. It got 180 views compared to eight on Instagram. And I was like, wow, what a great platform. And I stayed there. Now it's been two years. Sounds about right. I love it. I'm 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 now working on on that uh, podcast part. <laughs> I mean, you're starting with an audience already, so you have some kind of uh, viewership, so you can kind of pull them into your podcast. I I was just talking into uh, into the abyss, like there was nobody there on the other side. So I think your strategy is yeah. much smarter. Yeah, yeah. I th I, th I think I think there's there's potential for it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm the same in terms of like starting in performance. Like I grew up in the art and music world. I, I grew up studying art. I went to music school. I wanted to be a rock star. You know, it's like that, that kind of area. Then I, I sort of ended up humbling myself and, and starting to work on simple things. And, um, a friend of mine, uh, who runs his business, uh, through social media, he found TikTok and he actually was super encouraging. He was trying to get me on there. He, he's like, I don't know what you'll do, but you'll do something. And I'm like, another social platform, <laughs> another one. And, 
I ended up getting on one evening uh, at like I don't know 10 p.m. or something, and I and I messaged him around like 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. and I went, well, shit, because <laughs> it's just it's an amazing platform. It's it's a uh, incredibly engaging, and uh, yeah, I I started mm -hmm. making content about things that I just thought were ridiculous. And uh, that that was when it started working. Um, what are is mm -hmm. there anything that like surprised you about getting a following on TikTok? Actually, when I got on TikTok initially, what surprised me pleasantly surprised me was how funny the kids are these days. Like, I just found them super funny and super creative. And I like you know I'm not a weirdo. Like, I haven't really been exposed to like younger kids. I'm not. A, a, a secondary school teacher so obviously there are little little interaction with like younger kids for me so I didn't really know what was going on in kind of their world and I think on TikTok I you saw a bunch of like 16 year olds making skits and comedy skits and I was like whoa this is like they're really creative so that surprised me about the platform and just the culture um, in terms of like getting a following I think it's like I think what surprised me is is the sense of like how much of an overthinker I am and how much I overhype myself in terms of what I'm what I'm doing. Um, so like, you know, I started just trying to be creative and to find myself a fun creative outlet. And now I'm thinking like with every video, I'm like, but what am I saying? How is this going to impact people? But this is garbage because it's not going to actually make any change. But what if this person takes it differently? So it's like, I've never really been uh, an overthinker at all. But now I think that just because people pay attention, what I post has to be good. And if it's not, then I fail them. Uh, that's like a quality I never thought I had. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I wish I didn't have it. It's yeah, it's it's been a huge exploration and perfectionism for me. Um, I'm the flip of that. I I I started with the perfectionist streak, and that's like something that like would constantly hmm. hold me back. And I'm I'm like slowly trying to move out of it. Um, and I think TikTok's an amazing platform for that because, like, the price of a video flopping is it feels kind of temporary you know like you can you can pick yourself up and do something new mm -hmm. so uh like seeing the mistakes um and then seeing that they didn't cost me any long-term pain uh i found has, has made it way more possible for me to like look at it and and take a, a less perfectionist mindset on it for you just because i i have a i have a theory about like caring about the the views especially on tiktok so like if you don't mind me asking uh like where do you get most of your income from yeah so i was a music teacher and what about now so now i'm coaching got it um so for you uh it's it's about so you see i think when people have um most of their income from brand collaborations um, so like from brand placements on TikTok, then I think the views matter much more because the brand will come on your account and they will see that the last few videos flopped and they'll be like, oh no, we don't want to work with you because your, your reach isn't consistent. So I think that for those people, uh, I understand where they're coming from for everyone else. Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That is a much higher price. I agree. Um, 
and I, I have I have been thinking about that. I'm trying to develop a channel where uh, some irregular view count is a given because I think I think it would be a little a little nuts to uh, you know expect the same thing all the time. Um, I, I mean, this is this is a, a constant back and forth. Um, like, I, I mean, Seth Godin, who I'm a big fan of, uh, teaches marketing and sort of underlying philosophy behind it. Uh, he's he's a big big proponent of the dependability of something, where it's it's like you're there to do the work, you're there to deliver something. Um, but also, he talks a lot mm -hmm. about establishing enough trust with an audience uh, to do the next project. And it's like setting a precedent where the, the people that are super into what you're doing um, are fine with weird shit flying off the, out of the window, you know. Um, and uh, the, a really good example of this is, um, mm -hmm. God, I always forget his name. Um, David Bowie. There we go. Uh, you know, David Bowie uh, mm -hmm. would do utterly strange left turns, right turns in terms of uh, sounds that he mm -hmm. would create. Like, like, he would make an album that his audience was not wanting, not expecting, etc. And I'm sure that the, his, it was super unpredictable and it chased away a lot of business. Um... But his ability to like push through it and and keep doing that, like there, he started to send a consistent message of inconsistency. I believe is what happened, and I think that's a useful route for a lot of creative types because creatives are, you know, like we're designed, we're wired to like reach out into the weirdness and try to find something useful. So if we don't like factor that into our daily life, that that's a, that's an element. I think that we get ourselves stuck in a way that, um, makes it hard for us to do our best work. For sure. And I mean, I, I totally share, uh, the love for Seth Godin. I think you, you to me are very similar to Seth Godin in, in your approach for your TikTok videos. To his approach to his blogs, ah, uh, yeah. Uh, before you started doing podcasts and like other things, so now you you initially you were like just like Seth Godin, but now you're kind of selling out a bit and becoming a little bit more mass, uh, <laughs> I guess, with the podcast and stuff like this. But I think your your method of delivery is just 2021 version of Seth Godin in like early 2000s or something like that. Um, and I think also on on creativity, like. That's something that I quite like to repeat to myself when I feel frustrated with um, with kind of my output because like, okay, so I make content on social media. I guess there is some level of creativity to that. I'm also the creative director of my agency. So it's kind of in my title to be creative and people and clients expect me to be that. Um, but then again, creativity is unevenly distributed because it has the flip side else we would just all you know, evolve to be super creative, but like, it's not something that is just positive and it doesn't bring just positive things. Like the other side of creativity is 
like overthinking, anxiety, worry, like a whole bunch of other things uh, that people who don't have creativity don't have to struggle with. And like you look at them and be like, oh, I wish I could be that, but you can't because you pay the price uh, for this state that you that you can go into. I'm not saying that like some people are creative and some people are not. I'm just saying that to myself, it's important to remind myself that like the reason I can do A is also the reason sometimes I feel like B and there is no A without B. Absolutely. Um, and I love, I love that you said that about Seth Godin. That makes me super happy. Um, I'm, I am like trying to post every day, right? I'm trying to make it a pattern. And, and that thing about like the, the neuroses that comes with creativity is, oh God, it's, it's so true. And it's flattened me many, many times. And I, I, I really do think it is like a combination of sort of the limitations uh, that come with stabilizing something. Um, and then the uh, sort of mm -hmm. the freedom that com comes with the chaos. And so TikTok has mm -hmm. been super good for me uh, creatively, actually, because like I have these limitations of it's like, okay, it's 59 seconds. Um, you know, it's, they say it's 60 seconds, but I tried to make, make them 60 seconds in the beginning. I saw what happened. So I, I couldn't even get that last second out, you know, they cut it off. Oh, yeah, it's it's a lot. 59 seconds. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it, it's like, okay, so I have to make something daily. Right. And that's, that's a, something that I set for myself. And then inside of that, I'm giving mm -hmm. myself sort of an open, a much more open structure where like, it doesn't necessarily have, have to stay to one topic. But then I optimized for structure and like ease of creation, right? So it's like I'm I'm utilizing scripts, I'm utilizing a similar camera angle. Like there's a lot of things that I'm keeping the same. And yeah, it's it's this uh, like like getting your best results seems to be this constant balance of limitation and freedom. And it's like you give yourself total uh, freedom and it wrecks you like it's not a good thing um and then you give yourself total limitation and that's problematic as well it, it always seems to be a balance between the two yeah i really love your approach i think it's great and i i can also see it from the kind of production uh post uh production standpoint uh it's a very good very good and very kind of efficient um image to, to to cut up and post so super smart and the the commonalities i i've been noticing are like they seem to be coming out like i'm i'm doing stuff and then noticing the commonalities discovering my niche by watching my own creation and as i look at your content i'm seeing commonalities pop out and i'm, I'm wondering like are you planning your commonalities out ahead or do you feel like you're starting to like observe yourself and then build into the structure of the things that work and 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 create it sort of i don't know if in hindsight is the right word but uh, i in music i i use this analogy of like one of the worst things you can do is uh have a vision for how a song is supposed to sound and then try to make that song because your your brain uh -huh. is like an infinite song imaginer, so it's 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 like a, a terrible terrible idea, because you'll never match it. So the solution is to make a song and then mm -hmm. listen to it, like make it and then notice it. 
and then you go, oh, it's, that's that's what I'm making. Mm-hmm. Um, but that it's also super different for different mm-hmm. personalities. So I'm I'm curious, where are your like common threads coming from? Uh, so I think for me, kind of halfway through my like social media journey, I just wanted to like post content uh, after consuming which the the consumer wouldn't feel like they wasted that time. So like I was, uh, I'm a big proponent of getting on social media, of using social media. Uh, I am not a fan of this like war against this medium of of communication and like living that is happening right now with like the social dilemma, social media, bad, bad, bad. It's like uh, it's like taxes and like loopholes and like okay, this is this is what we have. Like let's just make the most of it. Um, at the same time, I don't want to be. Uh, Logan Paul or Jake Paul who like are massively successful but like in these like very questionable ways um so I want to produce content that I'll my for myself like very selfishly I'll be like I'm better than those guys because I make something that is useful they make something that is trash but is popular um so I don't know if I'm doing this just because I want to like pump myself up a little bit and to be like okay this is meaningful uh or because it works and because this is the the niche that I've kind of fallen into so I I like to think that this is kind of something that aligns more with my values so like educational videos like motivational videos some kind of videos about interesting things that will hopefully get the person to come and like discover more about me and then hopefully take more from me than they would take from Jake Paul in terms of how they live their life not that I have all the answers and not that I'm like perfect or I have this like journey that is correct and his is this correct I'm just trying to offer an alternative for people to to consume like other types of creators um that was kind of my 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 plan so I I guess the I also like to talk about what's interesting for me so I very rarely make a video about something that I'm not interested in completely um so I guess those commonalities they're just partially my personality and partially like my interests and partially the result of me kind of understanding what works and what topics resonate it it always amazes me like the diverse threads that make a creation um we Mm. when we think about something we want to do we look at a bunch of other people that have done it and we think, oh, I'm going to do it that way. And there's the, 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 the piece that we, we look at is always that end product, but the parts behind it are often not disconnected, but not at all what you would think they would be. I, I, I keep coming back to the, the, the locomotive, um the you know industrial revolution we had to standardize the width of the rails to get anywhere and then we could run a train on these tracks and they were terrible trains and Mm -hmm. they managed to pull some heavy shit from one part of a country to another and a bunch of annoyed tired people ran these trains and then on every train was an engineer or multiple engineers and each one of those was annoyed and watching the train. And every once in a while, 
one of the engineers was annoyed enough at something that they went, okay, that thing needs to be better. And they would make one tiny tweak mm-hmm. that was inarguably better. And then that would extrapolate out. They'd tell other engineers, tell other companies, and it would appear on every single locomotive. And this happened over and over and over and over again. Like, the locomotive was this weird, almost like decentralized form of creativity. And when we look at the locomotive today, Hmm. we look at it in a textbook with a diagram that says, here's the complete locomotive. And I think when we Mm -hmm. think we want to make something, a lot of times we, we go to that like complete thing. But then, like you said, it's, it's like there's, you're pulling from so many places to make the thing that you want to make. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm fascinated by how like you can pull from so many places and then create the thing that's one unique identity. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And like, I, I wish you could compare me to a locomotive who's just like, but to me, I'm more like bike, um, (laughs) bicycle, like a really nice Ukrainian bicycle that's just treading along. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally, I totally agree. I think this is a super interesting analogy. And it's also like, I mean, I don't know, social media world is weird because it seems that the, 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 the less you care about the views, the more views you will have, as long as you have something to say. That said, we have kind of creators like David Dobrik and, and Logan Paul and Mr. Beast who are very heavily, heavily, heavily engineering their videos for maximum views. And those also tend to be the most viewed videos. Um, so it's like, to me that this is an ever, this is a never ending, like what works and what doesn't changes every day. Yes. And I really like the saying, uh, that goes different is better than better. So sometimes when I'm just thinking of improving something, I'm like, let me just make something that is different. And, and that in of itself is better than just some incremental improvement. I don't always kind of have the, the boldness to pull this off and like, to send my audience or my clients or, or, or my girlfriend or whoever, like completely left field being like different is better than better. Here is, uh, I don't know, like a, like a thirst trap TikTok that I'm going to do. Like, I, I don't always have kind of the courage for that, but, uh, but I think sometimes just like, just not doing what everyone else is doing, you know, again, going back to Seth Godin, like zagging when everyone's zagging and all of that stuff. Um, I think that's super, I think that's super useful. And I think that in the end, that will make a better locomotive than if you just looked at every single thing and just try to improve it a little bit. Um, I think you'd rather be like, like, why the fuck does it have to be a train? Like, why can't we, you know, go to space or something like that? How is what you're doing in social media connecting to your business? Um, so it kind of gave me a head start. So. Kind of the way the way that I formed my agency was I was working at a, a large consultancy firm, so I was feeling quite comfortable. Uh, and on the side, I had the social media thing that was just a uh, like a creativity outlet. Uh, and up until now, like my intention is to not need anything from my audience. So like I will release stuff, I will offer stuff. Like you can buy it if you want. That's great. Maybe I will even make a lot of money. If a lot of you buy it, that's great, but I don't need you to buy it. So like 85% of my income is, uh, is my dividends that I pay through, through the business that are related to my social media, because 
that has established me as a as an as a practitioner of uh, like communications so on one side i had my very corporate experience of working at big ad agencies running a, a a thought leadership for a very very big firm so i had that like very credible old school experience but if i started a company with just that i would be just like everyone else at the same time if i started a creative agency just as a creator i would be like everyone else but because i had both that kind of allowed me to to enter the marketplace with a new offering saying that i have dealt with big budgets and i have consulted governments on their communications before this whole social media thing at the same time i spent six hours a day uh, on a gen z app so i know exactly what they're thinking and what they want and i read all of their dms and that has just allowed me to to have a really just a much more interesting positioning um, so I guess it is related and, you know, for me, like when I stop understanding kind of what gets views, I guess this is what when client might start asking questions about, you know, the creative director of the agency that is working with them. Um, at the same time, there is no like direct kind of correlation, which is why I'm very comfortable with like figuring out what I want to create, creating that, not taking uh, like a bang energy uh, brand deal and stuff like that. Are you getting a lot of the clients from social media or are they coming through other routes and the social media just adds credibility for you? They are mostly coming from uh, other routes, either from, either from, for example, like I did a TED talk that was a result of my TikTok following at least partially, but a TED talk has led me to a client. So like that's usually stuff that happens or like I was on a judging panel with Steve Wozniak once for a tech competition because of my following, but that has led me to another client. So it's like, uh, it's like a second order consequence rather than a direct, uh, link because it's still, I still have quite a small agency and we take, you know, kind of two, three clients a month would be running at the same time because the campaigns are quite, uh, kind of large. And I just want to make sure that we do, we do a really good job. Um, so I don't take like, uh, usually small, small clients or kind of small checks. Um, yeah, it's mostly big corporate to big organizations. One of the things you said at the beginning was about like not needing stuff from the audience. Uh, that's, that's something that's really present in my mind thinking about a lot of this stuff is, uh, it makes me think of abundance and like the abundance mindset mm. and how that like enables you to make different decisions than you would otherwise. I'm, um, a big fan, my, like, like my, my basic philosophy, philosophy behind investing is become more capable of risk over time. And to me, that means, uh, mm -hmm. build abundance and specifically prove abundance to your own brain um because I, th I think that a lot of people that are chasing any form of growth weirdly don't factor in the fact that their brains change like that a brain is contextual and when you move from a situation where there isn't enough to a situation where you go oh yeah there's plenty your decisions can completely flip. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I can relate. I think that's a, that's it's a tough like place to kind of arrive to to be comfortable with. Um, 
I mean, you know, it goes from, for example, not feeling bad that someone in your niche is doing better than you because they're growing the niche. That's something that can be challenging. Um, not feeling bad when another agency wins the, your client is a little bit different because it's like you have the same eight to 16 companies clientele. And like, I, I feel that sometimes that kind of abundant, uh, mindset is a little bit more difficult to enforce, but definitely something to strive towards. Yeah. I mean, you've changed your brain a lot. You've got a bunch of degrees too. Um, what was the hardest one? Um, I think law, I think law, because I just moved to the UK. So I, my English was also not kind of ideal, not that it's ideal now. Um, so I was really challenged like intellectually and culturally too. I think after I've acclimatized and I've gained some confidence, um, then it was easier. Also law is just a, just a really tough thing, um, to do with a lot of like unnecessary pressure, I think, um, and a lot of unnecessary uh, attention to detail, which is a skill that I don't have. Your videos are like phenomenally charismatic. And I love that. Like they have, they have a, uh, like a presence to them and you, you fucking nail it. And so my question for you is what is charisma? And is charisma hackable? I'm actually a huge fan of, of uh, the whole like charisma thing and like the word. And I actually found out that in Europe, I don't think it's a huge part of the conversation. And uh, I remember reading an article that the word charisma became popular uh, alongside with like Ronald Reagan and JFK. And like the Americans started talking about how presidents should be charismatic, like presidential and all of those things mostly refer to dudes. Um, right. But then back at home in Ukraine, like charisma is, is something that, for example, like women say that they kind of value the most and men like charisma, sense of humor, like those types of things. Uh, but when I moved to the UK, like no one was saying this word, like it just seemed like it's, it's like non-existent. Um, so it's interesting how the U S and Ukraine are more similar in this, in like how important this is, I guess. Uh, in UK, maybe there are other words for it or something like that. I think that, uh, I mean, look in the, I think in the common sense, uh, understanding charisma is like confidence coupled with energy, coupled with, uh, some form of like mischievous slash like rebellious energy vibe thing. Um, that is again, mostly referred to men. Um, I think that. I don't know. I remember like when I was a kid, uh, I was really small and, uh, like I played tennis, but like, I wasn't like a huge sports person, but my mom always used to tell me that like charisma will take me everywhere. And she's like, you have it. So you're going to be fine. And somehow like throughout school, I just thought, okay, like I'm charismatic. And like, that's what everyone was saying. Um, I think that, I think that charisma also is, uh, like refers to some level of originality. So it's like, if you are just like everyone else doing exactly the same thing, you can be loud and confident and like, you can have your, your things, but it's not charisma still. It's just that confidence, boldness, which are also great. Charisma is probably like a level of peculiarity that is peculiar enough to be 
interesting but not too peculiar to be like oh what the hell like this is super weird um and yeah like i don't know i don't know if it's like if it's hackable but i think if people just did a little bit less and this is mostly again the advice to 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 guys like who ask me like oh how to do this or that like i'm not pretending to be like a i don't know like a macho coach or like whatever like i don't even know that world but you know to me it's just like start doing things that are like a little bit different like a little bit more for yourself and just really stop caring as as uh, as much as you can not that you should stop caring completely about what other people think but i think just like originality is super underrated and i think that maybe originality coupled with confidence would give the impression of you being charismatic now i don't know if it's if there's any research around charisma and whether it's kind of uh nature or nurture i i think it's really interesting the 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 thing that you present to the world right whatever the appearance of you is to everyone else and uh when I think about charisma, a lot of the things seem to be symbolic. In other words, there's a, a visual or uh, audio-based or there's some other thing that a person can see or hear about another person that is symptomatic of somebody who can accomplish. Symptomatic of somebody who can go do the thing. So... For, for example, like, like posture, you know, somebody that has upright posture, upright posture in and of itself doesn't mean anything, but it's symbolic of a person who is energetic enough, has enough serotonin in their system, has enough confidence that they can, you know, expose their chest to the world, that they can go get it, that they can uh, be brave. There, there's a bunch of things that uh, is like, uh, to me, a lot of the, the points of charisma are, um, they're, they're not the thing itself, but they're a short code for the thing that we're looking for in people. I think so. I think so. And, and it's also like, even though like charisma is, uh, is generally like a guy thing, I think still like the it still relates to also being at ease with yourself. I think, I mean, that's a little bit different from posture, but I think just kind of liking, liking yourself, because I think the reason why people don't put themselves out and then don't do like things that are a little bit different than like the path that is, it's clear to the society and is like safe or whatever. It's just because they don't, they aren't like big fans of themselves, you know? And it's like, you know, I really like myself. Uh, not in like a weird way, but as in, you know, I don't see any other way would just make you unhappy. Like you got to be a fan of yourself. You know what I mean? And I think for men and women, like, I think that adds charisma to you because you're able to do things or, or to act a certain way. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely symptomatic. I mean, I'm also huge on like the fact that like, you don't have to be loud. You don't have to project confidence. You don't have to take up space to like be successful. I think that's garbage. And there is a book called quiet by susan kane on the for the introverts who are listening to this that like basically breaks down the fact that like look charisma is not about being loud that's for sure 
like Josh, you, for example, have charisma and I have charisma, let's say, if we operate under that assumption, but we roll completely differently. You look, you look out of the camera in your videos and speak softly. I shout into the camera with like hypersaturated video. Yet, I think that we, we can say that you have charisma and I have charisma of just like different sorts. So it's like to me also, if you are quiet and like by nature, uh, let's say you are more measured, it doesn't mean that you should start behaving like you've just snorted cocaine and you're running around the room like Gary Vee. Like that's not, that doesn't make any sense. It's just like tap into, tap into your personality. Just don't be kind of, don't be afraid to expose it because everyone is afraid and no one really cares. Yeah. If, if I tried to channel Gary Vee, that would, that would flop. <laughs> that, that would not be the route for me. Um, yeah, sometimes I, I wonder if that sort of charismatic element comes from almost a commitment to the present. Um, it's, it's, it seems in my mind very tied with presence where if, if somebody, uh, somebody can be in, you know, the worst sort of situation. And then they, they have this sort of moment of mental clarity where they say, here I am, this is the thing that I'm struggling with right now. That almost always has a sort of, I think, magnetic pull for other people. Um, and, and it can happen at like every level of success. Um, it can happen at every level of failure. Um, I, I love the, uh, have you seen, um, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. The Jack, the, 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 you know, the main character is so loved that it, he's like a, a, a particularly like strong underground icon. And, and I think, I think one of the big reasons why is because it's like when he messes up, he's like, I don't know, like flat on his back in the snow. And he goes, ah, I messed up. <laughs> and it's like this full on mess up. It's, it's a mess up with complete acceptance and confidence simultaneously where it, it doesn't, it doesn't go into shame. It doesn't go into a lack of confidence or like a, a doubting of oneself. It goes into in sort of an, an acceptance of the, the shitty situation. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's really attractive. And I think, as you said, like there is a level of magnetism to just like putting everything on the table and like being a little bit of an open book. Sometimes I think it's, I don't know. I think in the world where people are quite careful, uh, to say certain things and uh, people are quite care careful to behave in a way that's like a little bit like offbeat. And then there are some other people that behave differently just for the sake of it. And it just seems like an empty, like stuntsmanship without any skin in the game. You know, I think when you do have something to risk and you speak your mind or you like just let it out, I think people really kind of gravitate towards that. Tell me about, uh, we're, we're both. We're both uh, readers. We both love reading. Um, why? Why is it important to you? Why do you like it? Uh, when I was, I used to read a lot as a as a kid, and then I kind of gave up on it for like a few years, and then I picked it back up, and I just noticed how it like dramatically improved my life. Um, I mean, 
English not being my my mother tongue, you know, reading a lot of books like helped me kind of learn how to communicate properly. Um, and then just, I don't know, it just expanded my mind. It just fed my curiosity. I felt that I was becoming smarter and, and more interested and more interested and just, I don't know. I just kind of set myself a challenge to read a book before, read a book before sleep, no, to read uh, at least a page before I go to bed. Uh, it's just kind of st stuck with me and that's what I usually do. I don't know. I mean, it's super interesting to me. And also I, um, I just love to kind of learn more about the world. And a lot of times I don't read um, just in time books, which I think is a good strategy if you want to maximize your learning. I read just in case books. For example, now I'm reading uh, Hitler volume two, The Downfall, uh, which is like a 700 like page book about the World War II and like everything about it. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't think it's going to help my agency that much. Like I don't have any like even though I can be quite uh, tough and dictator-like uh, within the realms of employment law, um, you know, it's like, it's never really any value. I don't know, my great-grandpa fought in the war, like both of them, so it's interesting, and I just, I'm just reading it. It's not like I'm not trying to maximize myself for maximum performance and output for today. Um, I don't know, just... I think it's great. Uh, I think it's better than watching stuff I like it and I, I benefit from it and I also outwardly signal that I am this type of person like once you once other people know that you read a lot they also attribute other qualities to you and I'm kind of fully uh, understanding that and kind of enjoying that do you practice or experiment with any reading tricks like speed reading stuff like that yeah so I, I do do speed reading the, the Tim Ferriss pop the technique popularized by Tim Ferriss where you like basically slowly cut off the first firstly word and the last word of each line then first two words and last two words so instead of reading horizontally you just read vertically like this for the people watching um I found that to be kind of the most effective I don't know if you have any other any other technique um but I know that that one the, does work for sure the the one that I used the most uh I, I learned to speed read in college, and then I sort of stepped away from it. I started sort of just reading for leisure for a while. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm about to go back to it um, because I'm feeling the urge to soak up more data faster, I guess. Um, and that, that's part of it, right? Like, what are you reading for sometimes is an interesting question in and of itself. Um, but, uh, I, I yeah, I, I mostly have used the... Um, just follow your finger method where you accelerate the speed of the finger moving across the line and that way your your eyes aren't jumping and and it, it's moving in a sort of a a smooth uh motion and you're picking up the words through the peripheral vision i did this my last semester of college and i was <laughs> so upset i didn't do it my first semester of college um i i i started i took um, an art aesthetics class, which was one of the more influential classes I ever took. It was, it was really interesting course, uh, brilliant teacher, but, uh, he, his reading assignments were far, far more than pretty much anything I'd, I'd run across. And I was like, okay, I have to figure this out. And I started using that technique and 
I swear I needed aspirin for like a week, and then I was a beast. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's a useful tool. Um, I think it's a useful tool. I think you can you can quite comfortably read a book a week without speed reading, and I think a book a week is a good number. Yeah. So for most people, like, if you don't want to speed read, I don't think it should yeah. like, stop you necessarily. Of course, if you're like Josh and you want you want to, uh, what did you say, soak up data faster, um, <laughs> then, then maybe resort to, to speed reading. But if you're just reading to like learn stuff or like whatever, and you, you're not in a rush, um, then it's like, I think people who don't read, like underestimate how fast you can learn to read without speed reading if you read a lot. Yes. Yeah, I just wanted to add on like comprehension stuff. Like people are like, oh, you speed read, but like how much do you comprehend from that about nothing? It's like, okay, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm also not on a test, so no one's going to test me on comprehension. Like I, I usually, I easily skip chapters uh, that I, that I don't like. And sometimes I skip pages when things get boring, etc. Like I'm not one of those people who like, I open a book on page one and I have to finish it. And then I, I put it really carefully. Like I just, I treat it like, uh, I treat my books really badly and I don't have any kind of respect for reading it from a to b like once i bought it it's kind of my property and unless it's like the bible or the quran like i don't see any purpose of like showing respect to this to this object like it's here to help me and thankfully i'm not in school anymore so no one's gonna test me on comprehension so i don't really care i, I like that treat books disrespectfully there's a utility to that i love it um i uh i am definitely of the camp of like i i get to like a section that I don't want to read, and then I'm like, okay, I'm, you're gonna shame yourself into oh, reading no. this section, and it's completely useless. Like it's, 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 it's not something that needs to be done. Like there's so much material in the world to read. You don't need to read things that don't interest you, and uh, that's that's definitely work that I need to do myself. Uh, about the comprehension thing. Um, I think it, there's a tie to uh, like the idea of like language learning. Um, you know, we all know immersion learning is, is the best route for uh, for for speaking a new language. And a lot of people, when they go into reading, they have a concern that they're not going to gather things from it, that they're not going to, uh, you know, actually learn anything from the process. But I think it's like immersion, where when you set yourself in this new world that is the book, um, I, I think I think that it happens through that immersion process more than anything. Yeah, I mean, I think so, and I think also for everyone who um, who didn't grow up speaking English, don't be don't feel embarrassed that you don't get some words. And also another piece of advice is that also don't check every single word in the, in the vocabulary or dictionary or whatever. Um, I don't think it's needed. So like if you, if you, of course it's good to broaden, broaden your vocab, but I just, for example, my mom always, like she would take months, like she would take a quarter to, to read a book because she writes down every word that she doesn't know. And it's just like, I mean, maybe it's a good strategy for some people, but I just think that, like, just keep reading. Like, honestly, if you just, instead of reading one book and writing down every word you don't know, you just read 10, 
I think your language learning would, would improve. And also for English speakers too, like uh, no disrespect to, to the, the Americans or, or British people, but you really don't know how to speak your own language. And, and even more than that, you don't know how to write in your own language, that's for sure. Um, so I don't know why I kind of constrain it to just foreigners. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've, you've thought a good deal about learning that that makes me think about a learning concept, which is, I think, I think optimal learning often comes from like changes. So we, I mean, anytime somebody goes into a beginning process, they usually, they usually like learn a progression, right? You go to martial arts, you go to uh, art school, you go to just about anywhere. They, you're taught a series of things, but that series of things isn't really the skill set. It's a uh, set of actions that can introduce you to the skill set. And the real learning comes from integrating that set of actions and then varying it slightly or doing something different to, to see the, um, see the difference between the two. So it's like, if all you do is read a book and take the exact same style of notes every single time, you're actually not getting a lot of variation. If, if you only speed read, you're, you're only absorbing the material in one way. And I think, I think a lot of our, uh, intuitive leaps in learning come from the, the transition between, uh, styles or the transition between, uh, disciplines, uh, just transitions in general, I think is where a lot of our really great aha moments come from. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I agree on one side. I agree on one side. On the other side, I think there is a, there is a danger of jumping around too much. And like, I don't know if you necessarily want to go into the whole discussion of like range versus specialization, um, which is like quite, quite complex. Uh, but I would still say that definitely like follow your interests. And if you are inclined towards exploring a range of things, do that because there's probably something good that's going to happen. That has been kind of my experience at the same time. If you feel that you, that you want to specialize in something, understand that, yes, there is a massive economic benefit in being specialized in something. So if you want to be an expert in something very narrow and you want for two weeks to, to be only in that field, um, like there is definitely at least economic value to it and possibly, uh, value to you as, as a person, if that's how you're wired. So for people who don't want to do a million things also don't feel bad. Yeah. Um, and, and I've, I've definitely like undermined myself many times by going too wide. Um, that that's, I mean, with my open personality, that's, that's my probably my default mistake is, is going too wide. Um, uh, you, you, you probably know more about this topic than me. I, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, one of the things that I look at now is with the, the range and specialization is I'm trying to, if I feel a desire for spreading out for variety, because for my personality, it's, it's, you know, automatic desire, right? Others kind of want to narrow in. Um, for me, if I feel that urge, I will, tr I'm trying to zoom in 
and then find variety within the specialization. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that, and does that work for you? Yeah, it has been. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm still ex extremely varied in the things that I make. Like, for example, like the TikTok videos, like I'm still making, you know, videos about finance and then videos about uh, psychology and, you know, switching between different subjects. But, but I've found that like, if, if I have like a urge to go out of a subject matter when I know that I shouldn't yet, if I can, if I can find nuance within it, I'm more likely to pursue it more deeply. Yeah. I mean, look, I think your, your situation is still hyper specialized because it's like, it's not like you make a TikTok video and then you, you go and start like picking up blueberries in Puerto Rico. Like that would be range. You know, if you are in literally the same position on the same platform, <laughs> making videos about certain topics for 59 seconds, that is already very specialized. So it's like, you can even say that you, that you have range by using different words. So like, I would say that that still is a specialized situation. I was thinking more about like much more practical thing of a person wanting to be a musician and, uh, wanting to be a full-time dad or mom, mom, and also wanting to move to another country and like, just do ayahuasca and like, just check out like that type of thing of like, sometimes, uh, you know, if you, if you just like, for example, like let's take travel. And it's crazy because I, I love traveling and, and this, like, okay, who doesn't like traveling now? Everyone loves traveling, but this is a relatively recent trend. Like back, I don't know, hundred years, people didn't used to travel that much. And then you say, of course, it's become cheaper, blah, blah, blah. I get it. But even the hyper rich people who had the opportunity to travel, didn't used to travel that much. And it's just because it wasn't valued as much like these different experiences. Everyone was like, okay, like whatever, like, why do I need to go to France? I don't care. I'm good here. And it's just something that we've kind of developed as a culture to travel, go to as many countries as I can. And I just love challenging people on that and just kind of saying that, oh, but like traveling is just your way of like escaping or you don't, uh, you know, you don't want to go through hard personal growth. So you go through this light quasi personal growth by having a lot of experiences, being exposed to a lot of cultures. Uh, and it's like, you know, to me, it's interesting sometimes to when one person thinks a certain way to just challenge them a little bit and kind of like see what happens. And I find that a lot of really interesting conversations happen with to just challenge the norm, because now it seems that it's almost cool to try a lot of different things and if you read range by David Epstein or Epstein, yeah, I think is the right pronunciation then, uh, or Epstein is the right pronunciation. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, then you can see that, you know, in current economic climate range has like quite good bang for the buck. So like being kind of how you said, being somewhat specialized, but still draw from a few disciplines does produce good ROI at the same time you know, let's not kid ourselves a really good plumber or a really good tax avoidance lawyer for emerging Asian markets is still, it's like a skill that you can take and you can market much better than I'm a digital visionary in nine out of 10 cases. So I'm just kind of, I really want to remind people that like there is value in specialization and like it's hard. Uh, sometimes it's harder than range and it's just something that is still true. 
I, I agree. I'm I'm still struggling with it. I think um, I, you're right. I, I've 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 gone down the path quite quite a while, um, but still like like for example like when I when I sort through the things that I have to offer, it's it's too broad right now, and I know that, and I'm and I'm I'm I am trying to narrow it, and. To, to go along with the, the earlier analogy of zooming in, to me, it's like that picking blueberries is the zoomed out. It's, it's like we, we all want some degree of variety, but uh, I don't know, like, like um, Seth Godin, let's, let's go with that because he's, he's a person who really has really skillfully gotten that narrow field. And somehow he still has infinite variety within that field. So that that was my idea of like like the the like zooming in, zooming out. Right. So so I mean that that said, Seth Godin did sell a company to Yahoo very early on. Oh yeah. Before becoming, I guess, an an author and and a thinker. So it's like you can see that he hasn't been doing just that, but it's been in and around that field, uh, right? So so I think sometimes there there is a survivorship bias that I'm sure you'd be kind of conscious of that sometimes you look at this person you go like aha but what about a bunch of Seth Schmodens that like did a similar thing um yeah. but, but didn't quite perform to the same level so I think you can see that Seth has a bunch of variety and he's probably drawn to a whole bunch of things and he's incredibly yeah. smart and he chose this thing he could have chosen the other thing or he could have tried doing two and maybe he would have been successful too um, you know, like Elon Musk, for example, um, or, or whatever, like still similar, uh, I guess, skill set, but very different industries. Um, but yeah, sorry, I, I cut you off. Where were you headed with Seth Godin? Um, no, I, I mean, th that was, that was a great point. It, it brings us, it makes me think of sacrifice. I, I, th I think sacrifice is like a, a massive component of this, right? So it's, it's like, uh, I think I think a lot of us in the so so the thing you're talking about with like it being popular to go spread out and try stuff, I feel like there's a lot of parallel between that and the find your passion narrative, right? And you have to go explore and find your passion. And I I think something that's not talked about um, is I think that when you choose your passion sometimes there's a lot of a negative emotion with that because the reality is you're passing up every pa passing up on every other opportunity do, do you think it's that way or 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 no i i i i'm pretty convinced of that mm, i mean it kind of depends on if you if you have the the fear of missing out mindset again it, it's kind of a little bit as to what you are looking for, like, are you looking for results or are you looking for a, a journey that is worthwhile? Are you looking to prove things to others, to yourself, to both? Like, to me, I think, okay, so if we go with the passion thing, uh, again, just, just on this, the reason why you get paid to work is because working has an element of discomfort. like. That's you exchange doing something for money. I feel like with this whole passion thing, like people yes. forget, like you get paid for it. Like you give something and then you get paid cash, which you can use to buy food or to buy a trip 
and it's like sometimes people who maybe have been studying for too long or have been a little bit too comfortable or are just on the younger like side they just think about passion and they forget that like you know job and employment is something that you exchange and they think that if you if it's passion then it's it's got to be different and in many cases for example i'm thinking of like a football coach or like someone who really loves it like i don't know michael jordan doesn't mean that there's no sacrifice but they just love it um they think that that is somehow different or like to me i really respect a person who works gets paid maybe even works gets paid shit loads doesn't particularly like what they do but they're very good and then they go and spend the money have fun with their family like i think that especially where i'm from that's a very good life and it makes a lot of sense like people love being good at what they do and being compensated for it i think the the finding your passion part sometimes is a disguise for not wanting to be uncomfortable uh to actually do the work and like the more uncomfortable and risky you get the higher the return um that said of course you're passing up on on stuff when you're looking for your passion and you you're passing up on on opportunities and then again you do have to build some kind of specialty some kind of experience and like actual skill to offer so it's like to me before you go and look for the passion like just build up a skill like even in half a year and just sell it and see how you feel i in 9 times out of 10 if you just choose something build it sell it repeat you will feel passionate about it eventually like i think that's kind of that's 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 my theory um but of course you have to pass up pass pass up like us doing this conversation together is us not doing something else that maybe we would have wanted to do but it's like you prioritize stuff and to me it's it's if you set some limits to yourself like you did Josh with your like videos or TikTok set some limits for us like pursue this for 9 months see what happens if it doesn't uh benefit you either financially or spiritually or like whatever choose something else i, th- I think uh, there's a good book on on that topic i think it's a uh, so good they can't ignore you cal newport i think is the one and and he, he yeah it's like it's like okay somebody goes down a rabbit hole of trying to do good work and then they come out 5 years 10 years later going i care about this because the brain once again changes the brain is contextual right and it finds meaning and purpose and value within the uh the thing that they're doing and and what you said about the um doing doing work that's hard and then getting paid and then being done with it that's like it's the atlas that doesn't shrug right and we we need that we need people to go do hard things because life's hard we need people to go pick up weights and carry them i don't think sometimes people who are constantly looking for passion they quite understand how good it can feel to know how to do something to be able to replicate it and to have people reimburse you for that skill like it's a really good like it's great it feels great no matter what you do it feels great to be able to do that and to feel useful and like respected for doing that thing um so it's like and sometimes you would pick that over over some like obscure passion thing and it's and it's i think it's okay i think it's also like learning to fall in love with what you do at the moment um you know to me for example i uh, remember i was working as a dishwasher in a hotel 
part-time while I was a student and I hated it so much, so much that I thought that like whatever I do in the future is going to be better than this and I'm not going to complain. So when, you know, working at a law firm, when I felt like, oh, this is so boring, blah, 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 uh, I was like, okay, like it's better than washing dishes still. And it's like, okay, and now what I'm doing now, that's better than working at a law firm. And maybe the next thing I do is going to be better than this. Um, but yeah, it's just that, yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I, I'm really a fan of like understanding that skills are valuable. And I think we can solve a lot of the self-esteem issues in our society with just explaining to people, if you learn something well, you will get paid for it. You will feel better about yourself and then you can build the momentum and then the passion will emerge once you're on that journey of actually being useful um, rather than kind of just wandering. Yes. Yeah. And I, like, like you said, like moving to better jobs, I do believe that you can move towards things that are better. And I, I do believe there are things that aren't for you and things that are more your wheelhouse. And I think that you, you can find your passion doing passionate work. I, I, th I think you, you can do those sorts of things. Um, but there's just an underemphasis on what you're describing right now in our culture. There, there's not there's not enough emphasis on, hey, if if you go do good work, good things can come out of it. Yeah, and and it's also like don't forget that you also have to compete with others. For example, there can be someone who says, oh, like being a creative director of a communications agency is my passion. I found it, uh, and I'm like, okay, uh, and then we pitch the same client. And I'm going to say that I've done this and this and that, and I know this and this and that. And the other person is going to be like, oh, this is my passion. I was born to do this. Like, okay, like get in line. This, no one's just going to hand it to you because you found your passion. And it's like people like people with skills and professionalism. And there are so many transferable skills across different jobs. So it's like as a waiter, you learn stuff. Uh, silent tennis rackets, I learn stuff. Consultants, I learn stuff. And this all makes me a better creative director, even if maybe I don't have enough passion, if I didn't have enough passion for it, mm -hmm. I'm still a more obvious choice than someone who does. Like passion isn't something that you can market uh, in like B2B or even B2C. You can market it to get a job, but it's, you, you know what I mean? Like when you are in a competitive market, like you have to back up your stuff. Like what if you find your passion and you're not prepared because all you've been doing is just looking for your passion? that would be a bad thing, right? Imagine you're 35, you finally understood that you want to do that or 45 or like 55, whatever. 35 is still quite young. Um, let's say 55, and like you haven't learned to do stuff. So you've, you've stumbled upon your passion, but you're not even equipped to properly interview uh, because you haven't learned the communication skills or you haven't learned how to market yourself. So how are you going to take advantage of that passion? So it's like, to me, just prepare yourself and and understand the skills like being disciplined, skills like doing the stuff that isn't super uh, glamorous, like taxes or just like waking up or like getting on meetings that are boring um, or like, I don't know, staying up late until the client is happy. Like those skills will be useful no matter what your passion will end up being. So it's not like you're wasting your time. You will use this, you know, in the future when you actually get somewhere where you want to be. Um, yeah, even in the shittiest job, you can find a lot of useful stuff.
and, and I think it's really dangerous when people chase passion and comfort at the same time because when you're when you're chasing both of those if if you if you arrive upon your passion and then you experience discomfort you might not notice that it's actually your passion it because you've you spent so much time avoiding discomfort that here you are you're in the place you should be but now you're experience har experiencing hard things and you've been spending your life you know avoiding those hard things and i th i think that that process um can can very quickly convince somebody out of their passion i mean this is the classic thing that uh the classic example is is uh somebody who who gets in you know very short relationships and breaks up over and over and over again because they they're looking for the perfect match right and they don't realize that part of the process of the perfect match is sorting through the mess that is a relationship right and i i think that a lot of people even think that they're chasing their passion when really what they're trying to do is escape discomfort yeah for sure for sure and and it's also and i mean you you went kind of uh very high level on this and uh, i would also say that there is an element of uh entitlement of like oh oh it's so boring to be a lawyer oh it's so boring to be a plumber or like a you're not even qualified to do those and you would probably not be able to do them you, you know it's it's like why you think that that is not something that is admirable like maybe not for lawyers because like there's a lot of fishy stuff like for plumbers and so on and so forth and uh, kind of in in many cases even accountants and like like those types of jobs like why like who exactly told you that you are in any way better than them just because you decided that you will look for your passion like that to me is is like kind of next level when people start talking about how like nine to five i could never like like okay if you can't do a nine to five you think you will be able to run a business like that's eight to eight what are the strengths that content creators have and like what opportunities do they have available that they're most equipped to leverage like social media is blowing up still it's gonna blow up for a while where where do where do they have leverage and an advantage uh in their lives okay so just just to hedge myself I'm not an expert on this and I haven't really figured it out for myself because right now the way I used I guess social media was as my creative outlet as well as putting myself in the rooms that would take me 20 years to be in with like whatever Steve Wozniak or with Ted or with like any other founder or like whatever like it would take me a, a lifetime to get into those conversations but now I'm there on the same level just because I have some social media attention and like that stuff, which is crazy. Um, so like you can use it that way to just level up in your outside of social media career. Like I would actually, um, I would actually not prevent, but suggest to people who are considering content creator as a career to reconsider um, for two reasons. One, I think people, uh, even if you optimize for audience and for views, I think for me, the reason 
when I was leaving my job, I was really uh, worried that people will think that now I'm a social media creator and that would just make me irrelevant and like one of those because I thought that what made me interesting was that I had an actual life and I was talking about an actual life um, on social media, but social media wasn't my life. And I just felt like putting all my eggs in one basket of social media would be really unfulfilling and also uninteresting to the other person. Um, so, you know, I've kind of started a business and I try to make sure that they communicate that these two are kind of separate. Um, and I think there is interest in that because it's like, you're not a one trick pony who just makes content and like, there is more to you to discover. And, uh, and number two was the fulfillment part. Like, I don't think that, uh, for a lot of people who can figure out social media, like you can also figure out other things unless you're like a very classic, um, you know, kind of Instagram model or, or, or whatever, then maybe, uh, actually the, the field for you is quite narrow. Um, no, like, I mean, no, no, no disrespect, but I'm just being, uh, kind of honest here. Um, but if you are a person, for example, like you, Josh, who figured out social media, that is probably an indicator to the fact that you can figure out a lot of skills, uh, sorry, a lot of different, uh, fields because it means that you can organize yourself. It means that you can, uh, adjust based on feedback, like so many different things. If you could figure out social, just understand that, okay, you figured that out, use that to build your confidence to maybe figure out something else. Um, and then to kind of answer your question, I think that we are in a little bit of a content creator, uh, dilemma because as in society, all the profits skew towards the top 1% of creators, then it's difficult to establish that kind of middle class that the you know, and like, where will the money come from for that kind of middle class? Will it be brand collaborations? Will it be your own made products? And uh, I would say that in terms of leverage, um, a lot of creators underutilize the fact that like, if you know social media, you can go into traditional fields that are also of interest to you and just leverage it there. So it's always more, in more interesting for, for example, if you wanted to be a lawyer for a big law firm to hire someone with a personal brand to also help with comms for a consultancy to hire a person who can be like the face of the firm. So it's like, once you have social media, like how about instead of producing another, uh, like garbage set of merch from the same site and trying to sell this to your audience, like, how about we just don't do that. And instead of that, we take our attention on social media and we go to other places. Think about what you wanted to do as a kid. Maybe you wanted to go into government write to the government and say, I have social media following. I can help you talk to Gen Z, go do that. If you wanted to do something else, like I just think that, uh, having social media attention allows you to, to get in the rooms where you really, uh, to get in the rooms and to get to, to places that you don't deserve just because you're early to figure out this thing that a lot of people want to figure out. So just kind of take advantage of that instead of trying to milk your audience, the first chance you get. Something I noticed several years ago was um, I would go look for cool things online. And there's there's all sorts of amazing things you can find online. Um, but also there's these, you know, bubbles, right? Where every, everything is, is within a certain area. And I, I realized eventually there was a point where I needed to go outside into the real world to f get some new input 
that then would enable me to find a new world online. There, there was this very interesting thing where there was, a, there was a limitation to what I could find just online. And I might, you know, just go out and meet one new random person and have one random conversation that gave me an, a new viewpoint, a new thought, a thing that I'd never heard before. And then I could go find that online and all of a sudden an entirely new bubble would open up to me. And I think there's a reverse of that where it's like, if you're a creator, I think, like you're saying, it's like, I think, I think it's, you're way more powerful if you tie that into your real world experience. If you, if you don't make it just an independent bubble of existence where you try to make that your entire universe, if you can then go into the rest of your life and, and tie it in, integrate it in some way, I think it makes both the life richer and, and the, the social media experience richer. Yeah, and, and also to anyone who is uh, is chasing followers, etc. Like, I hate to break it to you, but it's not like as fun as you think. It's uh, it's great and it feels great and all of that stuff, but it's as everything it becomes a norm, and then you kind of you are kind of this this just becomes a normal thing for you that people pay attention. Um, so if you are look, if you think that like followers will give you answers to anything that you're seeking, that's definitely not going to be the case. And if anything, they will just amplify your existing insecurities, fears, and like self-consciousness and all of those things. So, um, so there is that. And also to influencers who are more established, who think that because they have social media followers, they are something or they've accomplished something like, I can't wait, uh, for the bubble to burst and for you all to disappear and go go work normal jobs can't wait for everyone who is who who, who gets a big head from from social media uh, and is aware of this and then starts treating other people like they're worse off uh, other people who work real jobs or well real jobs etc or um who like are, don't have clout like i'm convinced that you will either have a miserable existence or you will have to um you will have to go and um, do something else when this whole craziness uh, has worn off or when you become irrelevant. Yeah, the, the, the viewpoint just doesn't hold a lot of utility. Um, what are you uh, excited for the future? What are you, what are you excited for in building for yourself? Um, what, what you working on? Yeah, I mean, for now, I'm kind of super focused on the, on the agency. And focus particularly on one client. We managed to start working with the United Nations on uh, their kind of vaccination efforts uh, in Europe and globally. So that's been something that is super for myself and for my team. So I'm kind of on this on this journey that is very interesting right now in in my company. Um, other than that, I'm also very focused on on just switching up my content and doing something different. Um, so I'm just going to test a bunch of things. I'm kind of tired of doing the thing that I've been doing or the style that I've been doing. And I want to take what's good about it and what I still enjoy about it and just take it somewhere else and make something that I will want to watch. Uh, that's also a kind of a, a priority for me now. Where would you like to send folks after this? Um, yeah, I mean, either, either TikTok or, or Instagram. You know, Max Clemenko, just like Google and choose a platform of your choice. Uh, follow me on there. And 
Yeah, or, or or like follow a bunch of other people, like follow Seth Godin, Tim Ferriss, I don't know, Simon Sinek, all of those people, um, and me, and Josh. And then watch them, and don't watch people who make you feel bad about yourself. You are a beast of a creator. Thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed this. You too, man.